0: Hey, welcome back to Alphabet Soup. This is your host, Neva Hidijad, and today I'll be joined by special guest, Scott Greenberg, who is a motivational speaker who's battled cancer, not once, but two times. Hear from him about how he's used each of those times as powerful experiences to come back stronger. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Scott.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Great. So we definitely want to hear your cancer story, but let's start a little bit before everything happened. Where were you in your life and what were your most significant problems and worries before getting cancer?
1: So I, I was just about to have my uh, my 19th birthday. I graduated. Uh, no, actually, I take that back. Okay. Let me think. I had just graduated college, and I was 22 years old and got a scholarship to go to film school at New York University. So I was invincible. I was at that age where you have your whole future looking at you, you still have youth that nothing should be able to touch me. And so to get the scholarship to go to this top film school, everything was supposed to be great. And I was the youngest person attending the graduate program at NYU. In fact, they only took three people directly out of college. I was one of those three, and I was the youngest, or maybe the youngest person in the graduate program, and that worked to my disadvantage because in screenwriting class, they always used to tell us that when you write stories, you should write about what you know. Well, with the least amount of life experience, I had the least amount to draw from to inform any stories that I would tell, and I remember thinking, gosh, I wish I could get some new adventure or some kind of new, unusual life experience to draw from. And so it was a total be careful what you wish for experience because, boy, did I get something I was not expecting. So after being at NYU for a semester, um, I I found a lump on my neck, and that's what initially got me to the doctor.
0: And how did your doctor diagnose you at first?
1: Uh, So I just went to just a regular student health clinic uh, and saw just a general practitioner there. Um, he did a, uh, an examination, said what I have on my neck was a swollen lymph node. There's a number of reasons why lymph nodes swell up, you know, basic viruses, common cold. They said it could be more serious things, but he said, we'll run some more tests. So they got a chest X-ray and they took some blood, all standard things. This was a Monday. And he said, well, it's gonna take a few days to get the test results. Why don't you come back on Friday? We should have the results back by then. He said, but you're probably just catching a cold or something. And I thought, okay, no big deal. And then so i saw the nurse and you know they arranged for uh you know the chest x-ray and um and the blood test the next day he called me and said can you come to my office right now i need to talk about this with you uh and that's when i got what he suspected would be um hodgkin's disease um, which is a cancer lymphatic system but gave me a referral to an oncologist so that we can get more information. But uh, yeah, so it started off with me just going into the clinic and getting an initial examination, blood test, and x-ray. So that was my initial cancer in my 20s. Um, So I'm happy to kind of go more to that story. But decades later, um, I would get a a second cancer, totally unrelated to the first one. uh, And that was a cancer that was found on my tonsil. And that's much more recent. So once mm-hmm. again, I had to go through cancer treatment to uh, deal with that. No connection whatsoever to the first cancer. So it's literally separated by almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, my number came up again.
0: So during those times, um, take me through your journey of what your mindset was like during your time with cancer.
1: So very different experiences with the two cancers because of the time in my life. Mm-hmm. So when I was 22 years old, um, I was absolutely shocked. You know, I didn't know anybody my age who was you know, battling cancer, that kind of thing. I really expected my life was on a very different trajectory. I was very ambitious, had a very good experience in high school and college. And I was the guy who like sets goals and goes after them and achieves them and, you know, really aspired to do big things. And to have that disrupted, was really upsetting. And for me, the worst part was not the fear of dying, uh, nor was it the fear of pain. It was having my life disrupted, the realization that I was not in control. And especially when they really told me that I would have to drop out of school and move back to California and really focus for a year on fighting it, the idea of stopping, uh, of pausing like that was really, really upsetting. And so that really threw me. Um, But then I remember another part of it when they started running additional tests to see how far things had spread and all that. I remember thinking, well, I have cancer. I want the real cancer. Like I want to get chemotherapy and I want to have my hair fall out. Like, you know, it sounds really Mm -hmm. horrible to want those things, but I wanted the full experience. I don't just want to dabble with it. So uh, I got it. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a year. It was chemotherapy and radiation and surgery and all my hair falling out and getting very sick, lots of side effects. Um, You know, moving back home with my parents, which I love my parents, but I don't want to live with my parents again full time after, you know, spending time, you know, going into college and spending time in New York City for a while. Um, So my mindset was, you know, was very um, upsetting because of the disruption, but then I decided to lead into it and journal about it, thinking, okay, if this takes my life, it's horrible. But if it doesn't, there might be a real opportunity here to grow and to learn and gain some wisdom and gain things that might help me tell stories. Mm -hmm. So that mentality, finding a sense of purpose really helped the second cancer, the throat cancer, um, much more recent. Um, I had, you know, doing very big things in my career, um, working professionally as a speaker. And so of all places to get cancer, to get on my tonsil, to get on my throat, wasn't just threatening my life. It was threatening my, um, ability to make a living, but I was also aware that I had kids, um, and my kids be watching. So for me, a big thing was they'd heard about my original cancer. That experience got me into motivational speaking. I've told that story thousands of times over the years and used as a metaphor. We all get our cancers. What matters is how we react. Well, now it's time for me to be tested. Could I walk my talk? Could I, all the things that I've been telling other people, including my own kids, Mm -hmm. could I now demonstrate those things? Mm
0: -hmm. So for
1: me, it was really important to be the person who I've encouraged others to be and to be the kind of father that I want my kids to have. I want my kids to look back at this experience and say, wow, my father was really courageous. And this is is how we need to be when we face adversity. Mm -hmm. So that sense of purpose is really important. It didn't mean that I wasn't totally upset and very emotional, at times very scared. But again, having that sense of purpose was critical for me in, in getting through the day.
0: Mm -hmm. So you're able to look back and kind of connect the dots between your journey and how everything needed to happen and how you're able to get through it to get to where you are today.
1: Yeah. You know, the first time is very much a learning experience. The second time was like, all right, let me see if I can apply what I learned and see if it can help me get through this. And I had, you know, decades more of life and life experience to draw from. But I did feel extra pressure to not only get through it, but get through it courageously, given how many years I've been talking about the, my original cancer story and telling other people how to battle adversity, I really, you know, for me, it was important to not be a fraud. Right. And to really prove that my concepts actually help.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. So, yeah, I know you say things like, you know, with resilience comes results. I saw that on your website. and what was the worst times where you ever doubted your own optimism and wavered in your beliefs? Were there any of those?
1: Absolutely. You know, that's happened with the bouts of cancer. It's happened with my, um, in my personal life, in my professional life. I think I was part of being a human being, you know, develop your beliefs and your convictions and you have faith in certain things, but that faith gets tested. Mm-hmm. And there's times where you really wonder, do you have what it takes? Um, you know, I believe in the power of thought and controlling our emotions, but I do see people around me who really suffer from real adversity and who don't always beat their cancers and who do lose everything and who do lose their lives and, you know, strong people, good people. And I'm not special. I'm not different than those people. And which means I'm not immune to those kinds of, you know, consequences and those kinds of, uh, of adversities. So that's always there lingering. And so, yeah, there were times during this, especially with the second bout of cancer, where I thought, wow, this could be really serious. You know, there's a limit as to how much radiation treatment they could give me the second time because of all the radiation my body had the first time. You know, over the course of a lifetime, you can only get so much radiation in any one part of the body before it becomes dangerous. Mm -hmm. So they had to adjust my treatments a little bit. And, you know, the concern is, well, if that doesn't work, well, they can't continue to give me radiation. So that was always there. Um, lingering. And so that fear was there. The radiation treatment, I had both chemotherapy and radiation again with the tonsil cancer, but this time the radiation treatment was a lot more harsh. I really experienced a lot more side effects and again, threatening my ability to make a living because of where the radiation, you know, where the treatment was, where the cancer was, where I had the surgery. Um, And the surgery was, you know, was intense. You know, I had to go in, this is during COVID. So my, you know, my wife could not be there with me to support me And they had a, a, it's actually a robot that goes in and uh, removes the tonsil um, and removes, you know, some other tissue. And then in the same surgery, they cut open my neck and removed a bunch of lymph nodes. So all that happened during the same session, but they're really two different, you know, fairly, you know, uh, radical procedures that require a lot of healing. Um, And so that was very difficult to get through that.
0: During that time, Did you have to think about, oh, what's going to happen? What would be my backup plan if things don't really work out for me in my throat?
1: Thought about that quite a bit um, and didn't have a, a, a good answer. I mean, as it was, the pandemic was very difficult for people who work in my industry in public speaking. It's difficult for a lot of people in a lot of industries. Certainly the loss of life has been the worst part of the pandemic, but for many Mm -hmm. people, it's also been the loss of businesses and loss of jobs. So I'm not alone with that, but I work in the live meetings industry. Mm -hmm. I show up at live conferences and meetings and events, and I give presentations and the pandemic shut a lot of that down. And so as it is, Um, you know, financially, I was very much affected. It was already asking those questions. Well, if I can't speak live, then what am I going to do? And eventually I tapped into doing virtual presentations and I created an online course, which generated, you know, some some income. There's some other things there, but, you know, I've known for years that I was always one sore throat away from not being able to make a living. And so this was a reminder that, okay, this is, you know, it's a really serious problem for my business. So, um, yeah so it, it was an issue and it's like okay I'm not sure what the answer to that question is I'm sure there is an answer but I wasn't sure but maybe the f- best thing I can do is just really work on healing getting through this thing um and having faith that somehow the answers will present themselves fortunately my voice was never threatened and you know within a Within a month of my final treatment, I was able to give a presentation again, and I'm back to the same schedule that I was, and it's turned out to be okay. But I continue to ask that question: How can I make sure that I uh, am not so reliant on my throat as one way of making a living?
0: Mm-hmm. It's good to take it day by day, especially when you're in that kind of situation. And yeah. I'm happy at a, a good recovery. Now, this this might be interesting. Uh, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but tell me if I'm wrong. Would you say that you're a person who likes to take the lead in situations, likes to inspire others, and is comfortable being in control of situations?
1: I am comfortable. I'm not someone who needs it. I don't always need to be in charge. Mm -hmm. Um, I just found out I've got jury duty in a few weeks. I never get picked. I've always wanted to be in a jury. I've never gotten picked. But if I am picked... I don't have to be the foreman of a jury. A lot of people have that kind of personality, I don't, I'm happy to relinquish it, but I do like to be involved and do like to be engaged and have a voice, but I'm happy to let other people be in charge when it comes to myself, though, in my own life, I can be very impatient. Mm. And so I do like to, it's why I've always worked for myself. Um, and with certainly with, you know, medical treatment, it's important that I stay informed that I'm comfortable asking my doctors, challenging questions and then I feel like there's things that I can do to play an active role in my recovery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I don't have to take a leadership role, but I'm willing to, and in certain situations, I prefer to.
0: Okay. Um, well, your jury duty will give you another life experience to <laughs> relate to. And I hope share. so. That's
1: why. That's why I want to do it. But they never pick me for some reason. I don't know why um, that that is.
0: Well, um, where I was going with that is. During your time as a patient, what was it like for you to kind of take the back seat and stop your ambition and just let others care and lead you?
1: Uh, very good question. It was a relief.
0: Mm.
1: It was nice not being in charge. You now business-wise, I kept writing articles, I kept like doing all kinds of things. I told almost no one in my professional world. Um, to this day, most people in my professional world don't know that I went through that second bout with cancer. My concern is that if word got out that not only did I have cancer, but I had it, you know, in my throat, well, then people aren't going to want to book me to speak. Mm-hmm. right? Because they have fears. Well, it's going to come back and then we're going to be stuck without a speaker for our conference, that kind of thing. So hopefully not too many of them will hear this and even know that that was, uh, <laughs> that happened a while back, but, um, so I kept quiet about it. I a few people close to me in my professional world. Know, um, I let them know so that we could, um, find other speakers for a few events where I was booked and come up with some excuses to why I wasn't available to kind of manage that situation. And we got through that. Okay. From the it was nice just to be able to trust my wife, to trust my mom, to trust my doctors, and just, okay, I'm just going to heal. I'm just going to sleep. I'm going to watch movies. I'm going to read. I'm going to just let other people bring me food. A lot of people in my personal life were like dropping off meals, not just for me, but for my whole family, because they knew how difficult kind of the whole thing was. And I appreciated being on, being on the receiving end of all that love and all that support and just letting go and not having the pressure of being in charge and the pressure of having to um, to give and take care and to let go and let other people do that for me, mm-hmm. it was nice and, uh, and I needed it and was open to it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's nice. Um, yeah, I feel like it, it goes both ways and you definitely need to have, need to appreciate and sometimes look back on the people that you're surrounded by. And sometimes these situations can really highlight that aspect of your life and your relationships and make you appreciate them more.
1: Without a doubt, I received so much love in so many ways. You know, I was a lot of things when I was sick, but lonely was not one of them. Isolated was not one of them. Like I really, it was a reminder of the community that I have around me and it's something for which I'm deeply grateful and intellectually I knew it, but emotionally I felt it when I was going through all this stuff. And that was, that was a gift to be able to experience that. And, you know, that was true the first time around is I really got to appreciate those around you could step up. And sometimes it's surprising who steps up and who's there for you and disappointing who's not. And that was the case here as well. There are some friends who maybe I expected more from and who I didn't necessarily feel were there for me, but it was amazing how many people were. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in in the case of those who weren't, I think that maybe some just sort of didn't understand how to be or didn't quite know. And, you know, I can reflect on times where I wasn't there for friends. You know, I have a friend who went through the exact same thing I did, you know, seven, eight years ago and I look back and I realized I was not a good friend, even though I'd had cancer in my twenties and I should have known better i just didn't get it for him and so when i went through this and he was there for me i really apologized to him and his wife so i don't have anger for my friends who weren't there for me um but i certainly have deep appreciation for those who were
0: Mm -hmm. so you were the keynote speaker at ryla which is for the listeners a rotary youth leadership program that was at earlier this year and that's how we got connected but at Mm -hmm. ryla you said that terrible downs are often followed by great highs. And that advice really resonated with me, but I was wondering that maybe others might struggle accepting this because how are we supposed to look forward to the future if we can always anticipate that one day we might just hit rock bottom again?
1: Well, to understand that that down is part of the journey, it's part of the adventure, you know, and to not be surprised by it. There is no might happen about it. It's going to happen in in some form or another. But what's nice is the more life experience you get, hopefully you realize that there's going to be good times and those you should appreciate. And there's going to be bad times and those bad times make us stronger and they make the sweet sweeter. And often as unpleasant as those bad times are, they create changes in our lives that ultimately are good. You know, most people, even at your age, can look back at a lot of the bad experiences, the heartbreaks and the failures and the breakups, the opportunities that didn't pay off. But now you can see what those things led to and realize, oh, it's good that that didn't happen. It's good that I didn't get into that school or good that I didn't end up dating that one person or that I did date that person. They broke up with me, but now I'm more mature and I met someone else. Um, You know, what I found over the course of my life is that. Every one of my lowest lows was followed by a highest high. And every one of those lowest lows actually caused the highest high, either because they created new circumstances I wasn't expecting or because they forced me to make changes. They forced me to do things differently, ultimately making my life better than ever. And so you start to kind of see that pattern after a while. But the idea is to not get too caught up in any one Circumstance, whether it 's something great or something terrible, to not let that one thing be defining because things are constantly changing, mm-hmm. but hopefully, when you add up all the good with all the bad, it's mostly good that's what you, that's what you hope for, and a lot of that has to do with your relationship with the bad and so the idea is when good things happen, appreciate it when bad things happen, have some faith, don't resist it, and try to learn from it instead of you know asking yourself um you know, how can I overcome this? Ask yourself, what can I get from this? Mm -hmm. And often you'll find that there's some lesson, there's some golden nugget, something that will make your life better if you're willing to look around and notice what that thing is. And this is coming from someone who's battled cancer twice. Both instances, those experiences made my life better. I wouldn't want to go through them. I wouldn't want to wish again, and I wouldn't want to wish them upon someone else, but I'm grateful for both of them because of how those things ultimately contributed to my life.
0: That's a good way to look at it. Um, so you said that your down was around COVID when you hit second time of cancers. So where are you at right now? Are you on that climb upwards again?
1: Boy, I sure hope so. <laughs> a lot of great things are happening for me now. So, you know, professionally I'm having, this will probably be my, my busiest year yet. Um, and I ha- I'm working on some pretty big projects right now. Some a lot of exciting things that uh, that could happen. So stay tuned. Um, but it's a bit of you know kind of a wait and see. Um, but I feel like the world is totally open to me now, and I have just nothing but but gratitude. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot a lot of exciting good times ahead, and they're going to be that much sweeter because of everything I've been through.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh- Like you said, you draw on personal experience when you're giving your speeches or telling stories. And do you think that this period of your time of your life is going to be something that you will include in those speeches later on?
1: I think so. I've talked about it a little bit. You know, for me, it's important that whenever I talk about any personal experience, it's for the benefit of the audience. A lot of speakers just like to talk about themselves. And a lot of speakers will talk about some problem or some issue that they're still struggling with. And it's almost like they're working it out on stage as if the audience is their therapist. For me, that's not fair, especially if I'm getting paid to do it. I'm there for them, not for myself. So sometimes if I'm not ready to talk about certain things in my life, I don't. I don't want to talk about it until I feel good about it that I can distance myself from it, that I can still talk from it authentically, but so I can keep my focus on the audience and what the message is, I want them to take away, and I'm not still like f- focusing on it myself. So for me, that's important. So um, for the most part, I'm there with this material. But you know, I had the one battle with cancer, and I don't know by talking about two battles with cancer that it makes me twice as motivational or that I have twice as much wisdom. I don't. You know, these battles with cancer, I don't want them to be the thing that defines me. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a lot of other life experiences that I find equally or more interesting and more inspiring for me. And so it depends on who the audiences are and what the messages are that I want to share with them. But I think on occasion I might share about the second battle if I feel that it would be relevant.
0: Mm -hmm. Did you ever get back into filmmaking?
1: Um, In little bits and pieces. And I, I can't say too much about something I'm working on right now, but it's related to television. So wait and see. Okay. Um, hopefully before too long, there could be an announcement around that, but we'll kind of wait and see. Uh, but not like I was before, you know, my passion is in storytelling and helping people work and live better. And I'm able to do that with with the work that I current currently do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see what happens in the uh, upcoming days.
0: I'll definitely be looking out for that announcement. Anyway, thank you for coming on to this podcast and turning your story into something that others can draw inspiration and comfort from. Finally, something I do with all my guests. Do you have a favorite quote or something you think to put yourself in the right mindset?
1: Yeah, quote I tell myself all the time. If it's not a good time, it's a good story.
0: (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) I feel like that sums up everything that you talked about today. And I think that's a perfect way to end the show. So thanks for being here and again for sharing your valuable stories with us.
1: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode of alphabet soup make sure to click follow so you don't miss another update and share this episode with someone who you think needs to hear scott's story thanks for listening and see you in the next episode